Okay, let's go. Nicolas Cage Podcast Nicolas Cage Podcast Nee, 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 nee. Vond je een film van Nicolas Cage leuk? Dan zou het kunnen dat hij in deze podcast zit. Nicolas Cage Podcast Na 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 National Treasure Hallo iedereen en welkom bij National Treasure. De podcast waarin ik, uw host Brandon Kalu, iedere keer een film bespreek met Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage Podcast This episode of National Treasure is entirely in English because of my guest Ara Guvenier. She is an animation filmmaker who just made her first short film. The film is called As If It Could and you can see it at the Anima Festival in Brussels. The festival starts on the 23rd of February and ends at the 3rd of March 2024. So get your tickets now! Besides that she is fascinated by movement, by acting, by filmmaking, and I am fascinated by her, she is also one hell of a person to talk to. I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I hope, dear listener, you do too. So, without further ado, welcome to the Cage Stage Ara! No, 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 no. That's your treasure. I was watching the trailer for Moonstruck uh, yes. beforehand. It's a very cool trailer. I know. <laughs> I know. It, the, the line that the voiceover guy says, under the sun, nothing is new, <laughs> but under the moon. Ah, <laughs> uh, I have no, you have no idea that this has become, with one, with one viewing, become my favorite film ever. Of one viewing, so you haven't yes. seen the movie yet, or no? I've seen it yesterday. Ah, okay. and the, the moment it finished, I was like, "I'm ready to watch it again and again and again, <laughs> forever and ever." It is, yeah, it is very strange. So I feel like I feel like I've been moonstruck, to be honest. <laughs> by I the film. Totally get that. Totally get that because uh, I've seen this movie. A long time ago, like in okay. so, some far distant place. So I rewatched it for the podcast yeah. and I was struck by its genius because it's, uh... I, I see it as, you know, Love Actually is a movie that everybody has seen, but this is the, the much funnier version of it's that amazing. film. It's amazing. Like, I think this podcast this uh, is going to just be a fangirling uh, session. Like, I <laughs> I doubt I can give any... Like, I'm a very critical film critic. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. ve- I, I'm really hard to impress. And um, this has been this sort of movie that I cannot find a single a fault. Like, I would not change a single scene. I wouldn't change a single second of it. Um yeah i'm still under the under the influence to be honest like okay wait i'm i'm gonna stop like let you speak for me <laughs> <laughs> no 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 it's it's all about you as well you okay. are my guest so i love okay. to hear you talk okay. but let me ask you a question yeah. um okay. so your your 
admiration for film per se for movies yeah. where did it start where did it come from um it came from when I was very young, actually. So my admiration for movies actually started from being being fascinated by animation because I'm an animation mm -hmm. film director. And when I was young, I um, my parents were incredibly artistic, and I had this a brother that came very late in life. I was already twelve, and when he was uh, when he was so young, I was kind of forced to watch all of these children movies because <laughs> I couldn't watch my Hannah Montana or I Carly shit, you know, because <laughs> it, he was a baby. He was cute. So he always got his way. Um, and because I had to sit next to him all the time, I started drawing the characters and I started being mm -hmm. fascinated by uh, how animation works. And then I kind of get obsessed with stuff like this and I want to conquer it. And so it was like my my lifelong dream to understand how it works to animate, how movement works, how it works to make a story, a film. And so it kind of grew and now it's kind of become a career. Um, nice. Which is quite nice indeed. But um, it's not, uh, I mean, all careers are hard, but animation specifically, later on I discovered that it's a dreadful medium where you have to spend hours and hours and I mean years and months and just behind a computer animating for like this tiny movement. So it's like, um, but it has become like this incredibly uh, strong guilty pleasure that I cannot live without. And um, it's like a toxic relationship, you know, it's like we are, we are in it together. I don't know how long, but uh, I cannot live without it, but I can also not live with it. So that's my love for animation and therefore also filmmaking in general because I, I'm a storyteller in the essence of everything. So um, yeah, storytelling so, yeah. and the essence of movement and how that all works. Is there like a movie, an animation movie, perhaps that you said this movie inspires me so much, or this is this is something you have to see? Oof, some some. I would say. I cannot give you like a feature film. I can mm -hmm. give you a quite a big list of short films because I find... Give me, give me a short. Yeah. Give me a short. Uh, I'll give you a short. Okay. Um, and I'll give you a short one as well that I think yeah. is fantastic. A short animation movie. I, was, I see hundreds, you know, like so I, <laughs> a lot. But I've recently watched again um, The Man with the Beautiful Eyes by Jonathan Hodgson, which is like... Mm -hmm. um, uh, poet, a uh, poem by Charles Bukowski that's animated, yeah. um, cool. and it's a fantastic movie. It will, uh, the animation of it, the storytelling, the poem, everything kind of blends in together, and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I know Bukowski, uh, a good friend of mine, who's also been on this podcast, is a tremendous poetry fan. Mm -hmm. So, oftentimes he goes, "Oh, I have this book, and and you need to read this book." I go, I have things to do, man. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. You don't. You need to read. <laughs> you need to, yeah. Poetry is a poetry, poetry, film, animation, everything kind of becomes like this perfect synthesis of, uh, you know, a moment, an emotion and an experience. So it's like a way, beautiful way, especially when it's combined. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful. And I mean, Moonstruck, to go back, it's an incredibly yes. poetic film. Um, it it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, it absolutely is. Um, let let let's dive a bit into this this yeah. uh, film. Uh, 
the the interesting thing that I find in this movie that I've seen is there. Uh, first, there was a movie called Peggy Sue Got Married. That was okay. a movie before this one. Uh, I talked about it for my adoring fans. In mm-hmm. season two with Sven de Ridder, we talked about it. So this is the movie right after that one. And uh, Cher saw that picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nicolas Cage tells this in an interview for GQ. He says, uh, I'm going to take the quote here. Uh, she immediately said, I saw Peggy Sue got married and I thought it was, well, your performance was like watching a two-hour car accident or train wreck. He <laughs> was kind of amazed that she saw it that way, but also that she wanted to work with me as a result of seeing a two-hour car accident, that she wanted me to play Ronnie Caramari. I was deeply flattered because I was, and still am, a fan of Cher. Mm-hmm. So that's quite intense that Cher is the driving force for this film to have Nicolas Cage because the studio wanted Peter Gallagher. Mm-hmm. He's good, he's famous, he's, he's, he's fantastic, he, he, ooh, he drives movies, get him. And Cher said, yeah, but um, I want someone who can play crazy and realistic. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. to have those two worlds. So she was the one who said to the studio, get me Cage. Wow. The studio said, fine. Uh-huh. They brought him in for a screen test. And the studio said, I, we're not sure. But Cher said, if you want me in this picture, you got to have him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, the thing is, Cher is an absolute legend in this film. Like, Cher, I mean... The thing is, I know this this podcast was going to be about Nicolas Cage, but after when I watched this film, <laughs> even throughout, I was like, God damn it. Like, it's impossible to not be in love with her. It's impossible oh. to not be mesmerized by every single movement or word that comes out of her mouth. And she's absolutely incredible. And uh, this now makes a lot of sense because... I mean, I'm super happy that he chose Nicol- uh, she, she chose Nicolas Cage because he... He and her, like, they have this in- intense chemistry that I think, oh, yeah. like, much more happened, maybe. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, how can you act? So that's where I was thinking. Either Cher is an amazing actor, but she's not known to be a great actor. So well, what happened? Uh, Why did she want her him? Because they indeed have a very, uh, you know, this movie cannot be the movie without both of them. That has to be them. That's just ma- what is what makes the movie. I'm so, com- I completely uh, agree with that because when you see them moving and talking, their energy is right there. And the one yeah. time they that that breaks is yeah. when she goes down to the bakery. She's high in energy. He starts slow. Then yeah. he punches up. Yeah. She needs to go down. And it's that waterfall. Yeah. It's that bike ride that is fantastic. And yeah, you, you can't not be in love with Cher in this film. And that's why she got the Oscar. It's also, she got an Oscar for this film? She got an Oscar for oh this. Oh my God. Well not there, only well an there. Oscar, but she got a whole lot of uh, nominations and prizes for this film. Oh my goodness. The same I mean, thing with Olympia yeah. Dukakis, who plays Rose, the mom. She's yeah. also fantastic. I know. She's so good. But everyone who's casted is, is amazing, I think. And the whole... Yeah, like because it's actually it's a very interesting film about monogamy actually, and it's also, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a very, 
it's a very current time. If you take this movie to now, it's something that you can really explore and, and think about. Maybe at that time, monogamy was just what it was, but now it's changed so much and you mm. can really see the way they talk about love is actually much more deeper than what at that moment love you know was as perceived by a society as you you know you have your you have your husband or wife and they are delving much more deeper into the meaning of what it is to love someone so it has like it is super timeless but also at the same time it is very from that time and that's a beautiful way to see um like this uh, gem of a movie and yeah, share. I mean, after I watched the film, I just put on share music and dance in my house for like two hours. And then I had friends come over. I was like, guys, I'm in love with share. I think I'm just in love with share. I'm just going to stare at her face for the rest of my life. And, you know, that was the kind of mania that I had uh, right after watching the film. And still today, I'm like, the first thing I did this morning was look at a photo of her. Be like, I love you, share. I love you forever. You will never know who I am, but I love you. The subtlety of her character and of her performance is just wonderful because in the beginning she's just, I'm going to say this in a type of New York accent, yeah, she's yeah. just some broad who just walks on the yeah. street and has some jobs and does things. But then she meets Ronnie and you see her flip. In the beginning yeah. it's, we can't do this and it slowly grows. And that's because yeah. I think of the the stellar performance that Cage gives in this film. He hates his brother he dooms his brother because of his maiming of his hand mm -hmm. and he sees this woman as an extension of his brother so he automatically needs to hate her but the moment that she says you need to eat the steak i don't mm -hmm. like steak you'll eat it anyway i like it bloody you'll eat it medium rare so she's giving him the mm -hmm. tools she's giving him handrails to guide his life and he falls for that mm -hmm. very hard mm -hmm. And oh, I, I, I adore that he shifts in his acting so beautifully mm -hmm. because there's this, this great scene. This is a scene very much known by Cage fans all over Reddit. So um, <laughs> he, um, he looks at his hand when he's in the bakery and he says, I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. And... He talks about this moment, because for him that's a very important moment in his career and in the making of this film. He says that he was channeling uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, because oh. there's a professor there who rips off his hand, and you see a robotic hand, and he looks at it in, in disbelief and in awe. And yeah. he wanted to channel that, because for him, German expressionism of type of acting is being larger than life, being mm -hmm. uh, the sauce that connects it all. And he needs that in the beginning quite hard because mm -hmm. he is some sort of a golem in the basement, mm -hmm. in the dark with only the light from the ovens. Mm -hmm. He is a monster and he transforms into a human thanks to mm -hmm. this bell of a creature, this, this yeah. chef. Wow, yeah, oh my goodness, that's so true. And it's it's quite funny, like in the beginning, how the people from the bakery, there's like this girl who's also in love with him. And so they kind of also all sort of accept him as this kind of creature that lives there. And then um, that he's so inaccessible in every level. Like yeah. he's so uh, uh, created such a monster of himself, but at the same time, 
blocking out everybody around him. So when Cher arrives, he's kind of the same. He's not really acknowledging her. He's just kind oh. of doing his own thing in his own brain and, you know, acting the way he's do he's been doing for so long. But he feels suddenly a bit seen by her somehow because because at that moment he also says i think when they go talking or something he asks why do you want to talk to me because that's so straight like she invites him to the wedding and that should be done you know like but share just is like but let's talk and so for that moment he's like yeah but nobody has ever you know seen me or or seen the inside this little broken boy yeah. so far yeah. so and then he starts like Oh my god! But then my favorite scene comes when he's oh. taking her to the bed, and <laughs> yeah, and I don't care. Like, Whatever, I don't care. Take me to the bed. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's the best. It's such a great moment in the movie. Yeah, uh, I love I love that. And then you get Cosmo's moon. That oh. uh, the uncle goes to the to the uh, window and says, "Look, yeah. the moon is big. It's Cosmo's moon." Yeah. And that's the connection that love. Has been sprung. Yes, it's, it's uh, fantastic. And to know, sadly, that when John Patrick Shanley wrote the film, mm -hmm. he was not thinking about Cher. Oh he my said, god! He said, "Well, I was thinking about Sally Fields." Okay. Uh, because you know she she will be doing uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and Forrest Gump, mm -hmm. so she is a great mm -hmm. actor. But I don't think that the the hardness of, of no. her character and then the sweetness and, and uh, that, could, that Sally Field could do that in this way that you could fall in love with no. her. I mean, Cher in this movie is the moon. She is a force yeah. of nature. She is Cher. You know, there is so much. It's like no other, I think, actress or actor in and ever existed could play that better than Cher because of her energy because of her femininity because of her you know the way she carries herself um it doesn't mean that she needs to be a good actress or not i think it's just because of her as a person because mm -hmm. she brings her share into that she's just supposed to be the moon she's supposed to be that powerful thing that that is actually you know driving everything but also not at all like she's in her own spot in her own love story and everybody is mm -hmm. kind of like little orbits around her, but actually she's also an orbit, but she's a different one. It's, it, yeah. I love that you, you, you said that. I, I think that's a wonderful uh, vision for this film. Indeed, yeah. she is the moon and things orbit around her. But then again, she is only the moon, so she will orbit around also, other, yeah. other things. And I think that's what you can see with the father figure yeah. um, that she, uh, orbits around him in the beginning like he's a father yeah. and you need to give me away and I'm going to get married and then because he's cheating and she sees that that he yeah. needs to evolve around her just yeah. like Ronnie she needs to go to Ronnie but then Ronnie evolves around yeah. her Johnny the same thing I think yeah. only the mother uh, yeah. stays true to herself uh, yeah. in this one quote the question that she asks her is do you love him the first time she says no, uh -huh. I don't. And then she says, ah, that's good because love will only drive you nuts. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, when yeah. she, that, <laughs> she asks it about, about Ronnie, yeah. she says, Ama, I love him dearly. And she says, ah, Christ, that's not I good. Mean, that's not good, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think, uh, uh, oops, I thought we lost connection. Are we back? 
We're, we're, we're here. Okay. We're live. We're doing so, it. Good, good. Um, yeah, at the end, the then the, the, the scene at the table where, where in the, I think mom and Cher is kind of the same person, but yeah. just in different time zones. Um, so she has also that kind of, she sees her daughter experience all of this the way that she somehow did in her past because you hear her talking to this man at this restaurant and stuff you kind of feel that like Cher is the you know uh, the one that's coming along but she's sort of further um, with her ideas and feelings about love and at the end there's also yeah the scene of like all these planets all these orbits all this love they come together in this uh, table and there is also very interesting how Cher gets so pissed off at him at Johnny for for saying I don't want to marry you anymore, um, uh, because then suddenly something that was circling around her is broken. Yeah. Um, so in a way, she also likes that dominant character being being that kind of person. So it's not like she is so unaware of her charm or so unaware of her power. She is, but um, she also likes to play that she isn't a little mm. bit, which makes her character so uh, so deep and layered, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, and adding to that is the moment that when she got the money from her uncle and her aunt to go to the bank, she wants to transform. The hair gets bigger, yeah. and she's taking the gray out. And it's exactly what you said. It's a femininity. It's knowing that she knows how to play yeah. that, that yeah. role that she walks across two men that are like howling at her like hey meet, yeah. meet, and a woo yeah. she looks stopping that immediately but knows okay I look good so yeah. now I can, can continue and Johnny at the end sees that as well yeah. says I don't want to marry you but then gets back into the family because uh, grandpa says well, they're getting married, so now you're part you of the family. family. Yeah. So you'll still be revolving around. Around, yeah. And you yeah. see that perfectly in that very last picture when the credits roll, that all the family is there, but central is the mother and Cher. Mm-hmm. These two beings, what you said, the same character, actually, mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. points in time. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if you would ever make Moonstruck 2, struggling uh <laughs> that she could play the mother ronnie could have some sort of affair maybe and mm-hmm. you get this loop in that family mm-hmm. but also through the moon that would be <sighs> my idea for a sequel but then again i would not make this i, I mean, have no money no we could we could never make a sequel that will ever live up to the original but like maybe an animated version or something i can do <laughs> i would love to do the voice yeah, acting then like, uh, <laughs> sure we could do it uh, why not yeah. now the interesting thing about this if you sit, talk about movement you talk about performance and acting what i find interesting about this movie is that norman jewison the director did not know that he also directed fiddler on the roof and jesus christ superstar no oh, way excellent movies right what the hell? <laughs> yeah this is this man this man is a genius and but what he did was some of the scenes, most famously the uh, kitchen scene, those are the last scene in the movie, mm-hmm. he did that like a theater production, like a play. Mm-hmm. So he put these cameras all around mm-hmm. and he let the actors just walk through the entire scene over and over and over again to get that feeling that when they respond, it's not a movie response, it's a theatric response. Mm-hmm. So they're acting 
with each other and acting is reacting. So they're playing off each other again and mm -hmm. again and again. That makes that scene, to me, so powerful, so gritty, so funny that mm -hmm. it, it works. Now, there is one problem with that scene. Uh, he got fined by the Actors' Union because that scene took so long, so really? long to do. The actor said, can we just stop and have lunch? No, what? said Norman, we're going to continue until we get this right. <sighs> and so he got a fine saying, you need to stop and give your actors some food, man. Oh my God. Even Cher couldn't make him stop? Like that's even, even Cher. Even Cher couldn't say, hey, we're going to eat now or we're going to have a smoke break. What? <laughs> no, 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 she couldn't. So that's why he got fined. And that to me... Nobody's you... putting Cher in a corner. <laughs> Nobody. He should better mm. be fined. But at the same time, he's created a beautiful scene. So sometimes I think you need to go to some... I mean, of course, it's kind of completely correct that he shouldn't um, uh, disrespect or, or you know cross boundaries of, of people who are working for him. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to suffer to create the best... Like if the if the actors were okay with it, and they would also want to, you know, invest their their time mm -hmm. and energy and their empty stomachs into this, I would say okay, you know, there's no problem. But if they're not. It's not cool. But at the same time, sometimes you need this very intense moments or very intense um, confinements or or this time or this energy that you have to go on, go on forty eight hours without sleep and to get something really special. So, exactly. Um... Cage did that for uh, Leaving Las Vegas. He wanted to mm -hmm. understand his character and he wanted to, uh, in one scene, to act drunk because his character, well, does a lot of weird shit in that movie. Yeah. So he got very drunk and he said, just roll the cameras. It's the same with Stanley Kubrick who said to his actors in all of his films, okay, do it one more time. But mm -hmm. we're on take 95. No, no, do it one more time mm -hmm. because you need to go through and you need sometimes you need to, to break them exactly yeah to, so that something real comes out you know it's very interesting the, um quentin tarantino said that about jamie fox for django unchained uh, on the first day um jamie fox was being a little bit uh, yeah i'm here and I'm, I'm gonna do this movie it's gonna be great it's gonna be cool and quentin said no you you you're a slave you're not cool you're you are in a time period, so you can't you mm -hmm. can't do this. You need to break them just a bit mm -hmm. to understand what you're doing. And I think that the director of this movie, that Norman Jewison, did that because you. I think you're not gonna get that climax. You're not gonna mm -hmm. get all these pieces mm -hmm. falling together if you say, "Ah, it's it's fine, it's okay, just, mm -hmm. just do your thing." I mean, again, food is very important, so it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, feed them, you know, like feed keep, them. Them, keep them alive. But at the same time, <laughs> if, if everybody's on the same page and there's a great uh, kind of dynamic with the, they feel safe. The most important thing is that mm -hmm. even if you, I think the more you push into these like subconscious and more deeper places in your psychology to, you know, that you feel safe to do that. And within a, with a director that you don't, you feel like you're, you can allow to get to those places, but that that's also a very important task of the director to make sure like uh, you are taken care of uh, before, after, during, 
um so let's do this together yeah. and uh, let's go to those places let's let's explore what is going to come out of this character um but uh but definitely you know feed them and keep them safe keep them good now there's uh, another interesting thing i would love to mention uh is that nicholas cage said um well uh what i think is interesting on the character of uh, of, ja- of Ronnie, sorry, of Ronnie, is that um, he was thinking about Jean Cocteau's version of uh, Beauty and the Beast, La Belle et la Bête. Yeah, and he, it's it's very like Narnia from the BBC, like a big mask and fur hands, big coat, and uh, mm-hmm. he had a, a low uh, voice, but it was cracking. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit like this. It was mm-hmm. more in this area, uh, which is very interesting to, to to experiment with. So he did that, Mr. Cage, for two weeks, trying like, okay, what is this character? I'm seeing a beast in this. Um, I want to have that Cocteau version uh, in this character. He did it for two weeks. And then during the holidays, he got a phone call um, s- saying, listen, We've seen the dailies. Um, the dailies are not working. We see what you're doing. We need you to drop this voice, please. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. It's not working. So what Cage did was he he went to the writer and said, I understand I need to drop the voice, and I'm going to drop the voice. That's no problem. But I'm seeing something here that am I missing something? Am I uh-huh. seeing double? What is it? And the writer said, well... <laughs> That's that's normal. Uh, John Patrick Stanley said it's normal that you're seeing a beast in this because uh, the first uh, title for this movie was not Moonstruck. It was The Bride and the Wolf. Oh. And that's why in the beginning of the film, Cher is constantly saying, oh, you're a wolf, you're a yeah. wolf. That's yeah. that. She is the bride. And he I mean, is the wolf. The wolf. So... Uh, that's why he said, "Oh, that's why I'm seeing all these yeah. these animals." It's the same with Cosmo. Cosmo is also some type of animal, yeah, because yeah. he is um, fearing death, so he tries to extend his life by searching other women. It's the same mm. with that uh, professor who mm-hmm. is trying to regain youth. He's also being an animal, like, uh, and also the dogs are a huge part of the film. Indeed, the, they're howling the, the, the at howling the moon. Animals they to the moon, they so. must howl at the moon because Grandpa is saying howl, yeah. howl now. So yeah. it's it's a very animal film. It's very internal going out. Yeah, it is. That's why it hits so deep. Is because that's why it's also so timeless. It's uh, it's about this animal animalistic instinct of pairing, of mating, of love, of emotion of you know being being this having this brain that animals you know having this consciousness the way you can rationalize things but at the same time this disconnect with your heart that that when you have this connection that it's stronger that it's like supernatural it's with like the moon like the animals like that there's the the power of love is so intense but at the same time we have our brains that are like oh it's a cheating it's marriage blah, 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 blah. it's all the all the clutter but then the essence but that's why it's such a good film how how on earth are they managing to show that like i still don't kind of fully understand if i would have to analyze the whole thing i think it's i think it's in the acting i think it's all together i don't Mm -hmm. think it's one thing it's not 
it's not the the story it's not the acting by itself it's everything together the combination the music the um, um the one-liners the one-liners are just they killed me every time like i would i think took pictures of this the scenes with the subtitles <laughs> on like i think there's one that's that's one of my favorite ones wait i'm gonna just quickly check because i took so many um it was saying wait for a woman like you i think wait 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 sorry I'm I'm waiting, I'm waiting, it's okay. Uh, I'll give you one of my uh, favorite quotes uh -huh. from, from the movie. It's uh, Ronnie says to Loretta, you ruined my life. And Loretta says, that's impossible. It was ruined when I got here. You ruined my life. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. I, for me, it's like every sentence at the moment where they're standing in front of uh, Cage's door and he's trying to convince, like, Cher to come inside. Every sentence there is is incredible, and the one that I like the most is "playing it safe" is the most dangerous thing a woman like you could do. <laughs> that is a very. And good I, that's like to me. That's such a such a good feeling of like all these contrasts. You're playing it safe, but it's dangerous. You're in love, but you shouldn't be. You're, you know. So it's like all the time this one way or the other, but everyone's trying to figure out what to do in the middle. Um, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Now, you said something interesting. It's the components, all of it. It's the acting, it's the directing, it's the music. Putting all together, you get this amazing experience. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the music. Uh, first of all, how um, important, that's the word I was looking for in English, how important for you is music in film, in animation? What is this? Uh, how important is it to you? It's it's insanely important. I uh, I've always worked with um, one composer in my life. I wanted to work with other people, but the thing is the connection between a director and a musician. Um, when it's so, when you speak the same language and you have a same similar way of working, and what you can create is so much more um, beyond. Uh, than, than if you would try to work with a composer or a musician um, who you don't uh, have the same click with. Mm -hmm. So um, even when I was, I was sometimes making films and I was thinking like, oh, I want to explore other musicians, I just kept on going back to my uh, dear friend who we started together our journey and we know each other's kind of music from, from uh, he knows my images and I know his music and the click was so strong that like... Uh, I think for the rest of our lives, maybe we would work together. Um, and I know that that's very common with some directors and composers that they sort of uh, work together. I think Scorsese also has like a... Yeah, I, Scorsese yeah. has a couple of composers he always works with. Christopher Nolan has yeah, uh, yeah, his, yeah. His, uh, Hans Zimmer. Um, you have, you have uh, I think, uh, the, the Bruckheimer movies also have like a handful of composers that they're always bringing back. So that's that's completely normal because you know it's going to be great. Uh, yeah. A great story about that is when uh, Spielberg made Schindler's List, he said to his composer, uh, John Williams, uh, like, hey, you need to make music for this movie. There's no one else I can ask. You need mm. to do this. So John Williams looked at the film. Uh, he cried, and while he was crying, he called Spielberg up and said, I can't do this. 
the music that you need. You need the better composer than I am. Mm. And Spielberg said, I know, but you are the only one alive who can do this. Oh, <laughs> funny. That, that's a vote wow. of confidence and trust that is just yeah, 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 yeah. amazing. If you can, if you can do that, wow. Definitely. But I don't know who, who did the music for, for Moonstruck, but like there's definitely some classics that are playing, which is so good because I think, um, <laughs> yeah, the music is, is like, which, which song does it start with? Like It song? starts with Dean Martin's That's Amore. Yeah, that's... Uh, da, 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 da. It's, I mean, <laughs> like to bring these kind of uh, strong hits into, into, a, into a film can be so bad. Like it can yeah. be really destructive and it can be terrible because these songs have such a, you know... Um, impact on, on we all know it we have our own memories so it's like sometimes having these fresh uh music that's made for the film is is sometimes it's a lot easier in a way than to get like such a strong hit and put it on and and expect people to be like um excited about it. because this movie makes you fall in love with these songs again mm. and, and and you see them in this context and you see you see how good they work um with this movie and and like how much yeah so it's it's fantastic and and the whole italian the whole italian influence like influence on the movie and the, the core of these italian songs like they they bring out the emotion so good yeah mm. it's it's so powerful what you, what you're saying is it, it rings very true to the feeling that mm -hmm. i had when watching this film now I, I i did some some research for this podcast because i'm a professional tell me more <laughs> no, tell me more tell me more well um the music is made by dick hyman now uh dick or richard uh is mostly known as a jazz musician he mm. works his piano he's a composer uh, he was named a National Endowment for the Arts Jazz Masters Fellow in 2017. So he's top of the bill. He is the big cheese. He is uh, mm. the great Kahoot. Um, because he worked with some very big people. He worked with Don Elliott, with Beth mm. Midler, and with our very own, very Belgian, Toots Stielemans. So there's mm. some proud there. Wow. wow. And what you said... Directors, composers, sometimes mm -hmm. they have a little marriage. And that is true for Dick as well. He has worked almost exclusively for Woody Allen movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. like The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, Radio Days, uh, The Purple Rose of Cairo, all those, uh, well, interesting films. And so mm -hmm. this is like his, his escape is... is a side uh, score, his little uh, amuse-bouche for the rest of the world. Like, okay, not Woody Allen today. Let's some let's do someone else. Mm. And it's the Italian. It's 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 the exposing the emotions and drawing yeah. you in. Uh, like you said, that's very true in his yeah. score because it sounds quite funny. It sounds quite quite. Uh, classical italian but it draws you further and further in it's yeah like it's not a gimmick you. it's not That's a gimmick no it's it, it feels it feels like if you would use that kind of music these traditional italian tunes a bit funny a bit dramatic and you know you can turn a film into a ridiculously bad b status like rom-com that nobody ever sees and yeah 
And but in this, it, it completely works the opposite way. And it, I think there is quite a lot of diversity also. Like you have these, you know, strong, uh, catchy tunes, but you have some very soft melodies at the back sometimes as well yeah. during emotional moments. So, um, like the balance is like close to perfection, I think. Well, it is perfection. I think there's nothing bad about this movie. I would. You really need to convince. Is, is there any? Do you think there is something that could be better in this film in any way? Oh wow, that's a very interesting question. Uh, whew, um, I think for in that time, no, absolutely not. If you yeah. want to bring this story to today, oh you, sure, you need yeah. to adapt some things. But I of think course. quite often, I think that if you take a story that's been said in this time yeah. or been made in that time and then needs to need to bring it to 2023 or uh, uh older than that at uh, 24 25 that yeah. you need to you, you, you're breaking something of course it's it's like with the entire there's there's now a uh, new mean girls is coming out and yeah. uh, it will be with, with with social media and that breaks for me kind of magic that that movie has mm -hmm. and the same thing with bringing old stuff into the new i think the best thing that i have seen that does that is the sherlock series by moffat and mm -hmm. by gattis because they use technology to mm -hmm. not only enhance sherlock and watson mm -hmm. but also enhance the mystery if you can do it on both ends then the stakes keep rising and you can believe it Mm, yeah, that I to see. me is a is a good example of making it new with Moonstruck. Yeah, so Moonstruck I would not try that. You wouldn't. I wouldn't even try it either because there's. I mean, there's definitely some problematic things if you would bring it here. You know, there's quite yeah. a lot of sexism and all this stuff. But like, so yeah, I don't. I don't want to change any of it. Actually, I mean, yeah, sure. If you would remake it today, you cannot do certain jokes. You cannot do certain. Uh, scenes, but that's what makes Moonstruck Moonstruck, and I don't yeah. want to. But if you would think, because a lot of the times when I see movies, I'm like, oh, it's it's a little bit too long. Oh, it's a little bit, you know, I have something to say. And uh, with this one, it was not too long. Um, that's my biggest issue with films. I get bored quite fast, and I this was that's what my first uh, feeling was after I watched the film. I was like. I even watched till the end of the credits because I was not bored. I did not yeah. want for it was not a wasted second in this movie. And every time I would be, I was so in love with it throughout the movie that I would check how how far how long still the movie had to go, mm -hmm. so that how that how long I still had time to enjoy it. I was always thinking, oh no, it's it's already more than halfway. I I just never wanted to finish. And uh, that I haven't felt in a very, very long time. And I mean, maybe I am. I was also a slight little bit high, like just a little bit. And, you know, that would be my best advice to everyone who is after <laughs> this, like after this. Because I also never like laugh out loud on my own in my in my own house, like while watching a film. But I was making so many noises. I was interacting with the... I was talking to Cher, I was talking to Nicole, and my dog was staring at me like, what the fuck is this girl doing, you know? <laughs> so if, if you ever, if you, <laughs> if you ever want to watch this film, just get a little, little, little bit high, but not high, too high to not understand the movie. So you will have the best time of your life. Yeah, the take thing. the advice from Tauli from South Park. Let me get a little high. Just yeah, a little 
can yeah. do that. No, uh, well, I, I couldn't change anything in this movie to because no. I don't want to. I mean, it's a product of its time, and I want it to have that. So with all the errors of uh, uh, stereotypical uh, Italians, maybe, or or maybe plot lines yeah. that that seem on first hand it goes nowhere but i think it riches the story like the whole thing with the professor i love that because i think it's very funny and i think yeah, it, not everything it, needs to be doing something for the plot like sometimes you just have these like embellishments it's a decoration it's a something that gives a feeling and yeah. the, the howling the dogs the professor everything that gives the feeling it doesn't necessarily need to have a function and I think exactly. that's why films are so sometimes exhausting to watch because you know that everything has a role and you kind of need to be alert all the time and know like, oh, it's going to come back again. And, uh. and that's so. uh, quite funny that you mentioned that because um, when the test audience saw this film, first there was not That's Amore by Dean Martin on the uh, title sequence, but it was mm-hmm. a piece from La Bohème, the uh, opera where they uh, the oh. and they said wait i need to i think i need to pay attention very closely to everything they're saying because i think yeah. this is an art film so i need to be focused and yeah. after the screening the audience gives their opinions and they said yeah i i thought this was an art film because of the music in the beginning and i was paying very close attention so there's some things that don't work and then the director said so we need to change the music for the intro very fast and it was okay the composer that said what about that samore because wow that's such a big difference that is that is yeah. an easy difference that is like that is magic what music can do you know yeah but it's also what the audience needs to do the audience yeah. with this music is being said you know maybe get a little high but also yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but relax and enjoy this film it's about romance it's quite funny will take you in our arms and guide you through the streets yeah. of New York. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And exactly. if you have the idea that, okay, I need to keep focus or the other way around, nothing's happening. Because that's a, a thing that I've talked about with one of the other guests off mic, that there is this age that there's very much content, but not very much to see or to listen mm. to because it's just filler. Like, okay, mm-hmm. so what are you saying or what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I need to see something. Um, and that's not Moonstruck because in Moonstruck, no. they're creating a tiny, a tiny piece of the world where you dive right in. And mm-hmm. um, I'm, if there was like a, a book of Moonstruck with some characters and they're doing something else, I would love to buy that, love to read it mm-hmm. because that corner of the world, I love. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I am completely on the same page. Yeah. Now, do you think that this movie has done well in terms of finance, in terms of awards, in terms of scores on the internet? What do you think? Well, now you said Cher got an Oscar. I kind of assume it did very good. It is a it's a weird feeling, is because you feel I felt so close to the movie while watching mm. it. Like at one hand, I mean, I don't know how good it did, but at one hand, so far. Okay, sorry, I get super distracted. No, no, do go, 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 go. When I told my friends I was going to watch this film, they didn't know. In one hand, that made me quite happy because Mm -hmm. I I also didn't know this movie until I selected it. And um, you, I think the movie is so, it hit me so deep that partly, you know, you sometimes feel like, 
I wish nobody else knew about this movie and this was just mine and this was my own. Like, I felt so dearly. I wanted to keep it so close to my heart. I didn't even want to tell people to watch it. Yes, But at the precious. same time, I really did. So in this way, like, I kind of hope that it was very successful because it's a great movie. But at the same time, like, <laughs> this is like, if it's not, then I get to be the one to kind of like decide whether I'm going to tell my friends more like, oh, you should see it or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I completely understand. It's you found something and think, oh, my God, this is great. I love this. Yeah. But I don't want it to be commercialized. I don't exactly. want it beaten down. Absolutely. Like Fast and the Furious, it's 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 completely yeah. dead. Uh, Back to the Future, it's also like, hey, Hey, you see in this, we got a million copies of this. C- come on. Yeah. Uh, I have a I have a tiny bit with Lord of the Rings. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but mm-hmm. everywhere you go, it's like t-shirts and mugs and, and uh this and that. And I'm thinking, stop, just enjoy what is and not I know. Don't try to get another. That's why I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I've never seen it. And people are like, What have you never seen Lord of the Rings? And I it's just over i'm sure people like it but because everybody loves it <laughs> yeah I kind of i'm like i don't want to be in the same i mean i'm sure it's a masterpiece it's great but uh but i just cannot make myself get to the point <laughs> of like being like yeah okay it's great because it creates so much pressure on yeah. the viewer and it's so acclaimed and and that's why i loved watching this and being completely unaware of the existence of this movie and then being blown away you know so if I had known about it before, like other Nicolas Cage films, if I had chosen, I was I would have approached it with already a mindset of like, I know, yeah. I expect what's coming. It's a good movie. Yeah. I, I, I recognize this very much. I had that with Breaking Bad. Like my uh-huh. brother-in-law said, you need to watch Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is the best show in the world. And I said, eh, I'll, I'll watch something else. And then years <laughs> later, I said, okay, I got Netflix now. Let me watch the show. And I love the show. It's a great show. But I need to have that period that There's no one time. is... Yeah, time. No one needs to see this right now so I can enjoy yeah. it. I had the same thing with uh, Massive Talent, uh, a film by Nicolas Cage as well. I was the only one in the cinema when I saw it. So I have a deep connection <sighs> with that movie because I'm the only one in the theater. That's amazing. That- that's it's such a good feeling, and it's what you say. It's just it's yeah. mine, and I it's my baby yeah. right now. So just stay away. Exactly. But thank God, a lot of people had that same feeling because okay. this film uh, had a budget of fifteen million. So that's that's okay. very good for for that period yeah, of time. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, it finished third of the U.S. box office and spent twenty non-consecutive weeks in the top ten. In the U.S. and Canada alone, it made eighty million dollars worldwide. It uh, made one hundred and twenty-two million dollars. So that is tremendous. That is amazing. That this film made so mm-hmm. much money, and mm-hmm. it had six nominations for the Academy Awards. So, actors in a leading role for Cher, she won. We also have actress in a supporting role for Olympia Dukakis, who uh, also won. And for best mm-hmm. screenplay, uh, John Patrick Shanley also won. Then we have the best picture, uh, Vincent Cardinia in the supporting role and director. They didn't win, but they were nominated for the Academy Award. So three Oscars for this fabulous film. 
And Cage only got one nomination for this movie, for a Golden Globe, uh, for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, but it did not win. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, the 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 for sure the women in the movie are they they got it, you know, Cher yeah. and the. Movie. And it's, I didn't think Cage was bad. It's just uh, to me like he's the perfect guy to play the perfect. You know, it's perfect with Cher. I just cannot really think. I mean, it's not as memorable as Cher. It's not as, but that's not his fault. I no, that's not his it, fault. No, you know. So if you, that's why it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think he deserves some sort of recognition for his performance here, but. Oh, that, that's absolutely happening. So in the Nicolas Cage community... Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the thing, if you ever say to a fan, I lost my hand, or just do this to someone who loves Nicolas Cage, they go, okay. that's Moonstruck, that's that scene, that's Ronnie, I love that. It's, oh, okay. So yeah. he's, it's kind of come back. So people are like, Moonstruck, he did so good in Moonstruck. People are acknowledging, yeah. admiring his performance. That's great. That's totally true. Yeah, yeah. So even with me, if I, because uh, I love, for instance, uh, raising Arizona. I think that's great. So if someone goes up to me and says, "Want to steal a baby?" I say, "Yes, sure, I'm gonna do it." And the same thing with the hand. If someone says, yeah. "Does this?" I say, "Oh, yeah, that hand. That's Fritz Lang." Yeah. I know I'm there, um, and that's yeah. great because there are communities of Nicolas Cage fan all around the world, and that's oh quite funny that. We all know, oh yeah, the hand. The hand. Great. I mean, he also has another really, really cool moment where I think when he like flips the table. <laughs> yeah! Then, like when he flips the table and Cher is so unimpressed by that. She's like, oh God, like what a, it's like a man just doing this whole scene. Where... It's like her face is the description of, I think a lot of what a lot of women feel a lot when men do these kind of actions. It's like... Oh, for God's sake, just have a normal conversation, you know. And then he sort of stands like this statue. Yeah. It's not even a normal stance. It's like he flips the table and he's, he gets in this weird pose and he he's arches his back and looks at her or something. And it's a ridiculous, but it's so funny to me. But he also plays it so well that it's not a gimmick again. Like it's, yeah, not, indeed. Uh, it's not a joke, but it's so subtle that, that there is the humor and Cher just kind of like... Well, um, I don't care what you're doing. Um, I think in that moment, as an actress, she's thinking, and that's exactly why I asked you to do this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, Flip yeah. That but, table. yeah. Same in the basement when he uh, flicks the bottle and it breaks. Yeah. It's just, he's aggressive. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he comes he stands down. behind his, his motions. You don't feel hesitation when he's doing that, when he's flipping the table, when he's he's actually really in the role and doing it and with intention. It's not because you hear the that. Like, I would have believed it if you would say that was improvised because it feels so raw and so real and so fitting with the character that I would... I could understand if the director didn't order him to do that and he just felt like doing it, you know? But, you know, most likely it was shot for that because the camera was uh, further, so mm -hmm. it was planned. But, um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's looking incredibly handsome in the film. Like when he oh, stands, yes. 
like they know he looks good you know and i like that they're playing with the fact that you know he has this older brother that's not very physically attractive <laughs> and then this young you know nicholas cage that's like an absolute snack you know it's like <laughs> and share and share is kind of like this this milf uh, character like he, she's so she's ah i i would just watch it i'm gonna watch it again after this podcast <laughs> absolutely i i highly recommend doing that yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about some scores. So there are a couple of sites that give movie scores. I want to go through with uh, those scores with you to see what you think of these. Okay. Uh, let's start with the obvious one. That's IMDb. So yeah. um, that's also it's on ten. What do you think yeah. that the IMDb crowd said that this movie uh, has? Of course, uh, in but as a IMDb score. is is very uh, I find shitty. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. IMDb never. Sometimes they get it right, but then it's also like uh, if you're just doing random stuff, you also get it right sometimes, you know? It's not like a, yeah. a big thing. I would say maybe like 7.1. That is exactly right. No! Exactly right. That is amazing. Oh, That's shit. like, luck. I am 100%. I promise I did not check it at all. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I really did not. So it was a 7.1 came to me. Listen, um, if the gods speak, you must answer. Wow, 7.1, not enough, though. That's not why enough. I thought it's going to be 7.1. For me, it should be 8.5. Well, let's IMDb. go to, to, to Rotten Tomatoes then. So you have the critics and you have the audience. We're going to play a game uh, for this one. It's an old uh, television game from Belgium TV. It's called uh, Higher or Lower, Hoger Lager. Okay. okay. So uh, I'm going to give you the score from the uh, critics, and you're going to give me... You're going to say if the audience scored higher or lower. Okay. Okay. So the critics gave it a 92 on the freshness scale. That is fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, great. What did the audience say? Higher or lower? Oh. Higher. I'm, I want it to be higher. I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be lower, but I'm going to say higher because it's, it's, I want to be. It's going to be lower. It's 80%. I know. I but, know. I understand you just want it to be just a little bit higher. Yeah, I'm like, come on, guys. You know, we're all in love with Cher. Let's just let's just admit it to ourselves and give it 100%, you know? Yeah, just fresh. Mwah. Yeah, just fresh. And uh, what is mo the Movie Meter gave it a 3.2 stars on 5. And my favorite review site ever, that's called Bol.com, that's a shop, <laughs> an online shop, gave it 5 stars for the DVD. Okay, great. And I brought two of the um, reviews. I'm going to do it in Dutch first and then in yeah. English yeah. Uh, because it is very funny. Um, so the first one is from Proofken. She's 70. And she says, it's a must-have for romance lovers. Een romantische film van de lang vervlogen tijd. Zo maken ze er geen meer. Met geweldige muziek. A romantic movie of an age gone long by. They don't make them like this anymore with great music. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Completely. They don't Completely. make it like that because they don't... Because they cannot do it anymore like that. Yeah, you and miss that's equality. Why I, they cannot, I mean, they also, in this day and age, you cannot do with something like that. It would be problematic, um, yeah. I think, uh, to an extent. So they need to, I think, romance and like... These kind of love stories need to be rediscovered again because nothing that's being made to me is feeling so deep 
Like, although I think I've seen a film called um, this French film was about a, uh, a recent film. It, it, the French and their romantic cinema. I, yeah, I, I believe French, it. It's like, French ooh, Sacre Bleu, I mean, love with you. Yeah, 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 French is magic. Or, or I had, I saw a Swedish film called uh, Seek of Myself, which was also a strange kind of love story. Cool. Um, that worked in this day and age, but like Moonstruck, you can never make again. And I think, um, I must say, like from from everybody not trying to uh, piss off any uh, of these um, situations, nobody wants to be homophobic. Nobody wants to be sexist. Nobody wants to mm -hmm. be. You know, portray something in a stereotypical way, which I completely am understand and I'm on the on the behind it. But, um, but what can we convey? How can we do it? It's still not uh, to me in uh, found out yet. Like it needs to. It doesn't have the same spirit these films have. So people don't want to take risks anymore. They want, yeah. don't want to piss off anyone. So all these films are to me falling a bit short on the emotional level because you can feel that the directors are walking on eggshells. Um, to not be cancelled, um, these kind of things. But uh, I, I don't know about that, but I, I do recognize the coming shorts in the movie because I, I like romantic movies. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a soft guy. But mm -hmm. I, when I see a new romantic movie coming out on Netflix or on, on, on HBO or mm -hmm. whatever, I'm thinking I, I, there's, there's something here which I cannot connect to. There's, there's, mm. there's a hurdle or something. And it's not because anything with gender or with sexuality, because that, that, yeah. not, that doesn't matter to me, but it's about the development sure. of the character. That, to me, is there's something missing. But uh, we'll see. Maybe they'll rediscover this, this fantastic genre and we'll get something wonderful. Just like the uh, Marn, who wrote uh, a review for this movie, he said, Italiaans temperament verpakt in de verhalen over twee generaties. De romance tussen midlife dochter Cher en de jongere heftige broer van haar verloofde, Nicolas Caget, spitse dialogen om veel te lachen, blijft ook een topper. En video is grijs gedraaid, eindelijk komt die op DVD. In English, it's Italian temperament wrapped around in a story of two generations. The romance between midlife daughter Cher and the young but intense brother of our fiancé, Nicolas Cage. Fierce dialogues and lots to laugh about. It remains a classic. My VCR has been worn out finally. It's on DVD. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I think that's fantastic yeah, to say because course. we all have that one movie on our VHS when yeah. you were born in the 90s or earlier yeah. that you know like oh crap the, the VCR tape is just like broken on these broken. parts yeah 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 that's exactly how I would uh, how it would be with me if I had discovered it earlier but uh, I kind of want to just own it in, in VHS just ah. for feeling of like having it as a as a cassette you know like this VHS oh, yeah. tape uh, just to put it on a shelf and be like i love you <laughs> now i'm gonna get one more review um here and that's by roger ebert roger ebert was a great critic uh, he wrote for the chicago sometimes uh, unfortunately he's dead and we cannot talk about nicholas cage without talking about roger ebert because okay. he followed his career along a very long trajectory. And he writes about Moonstruck. Reviews of the movie tend to make it sound like a madcap ethnic comedy. And that it is. 
But there is something more here, a certain bittersweet yearning that comes across as ineffably romantic and a certain magical quality. That's why he put it on his great movie lists. Wow. Okay, we are all on the same page. Like anyone who listens to this podcast, you have no reason <laughs> at this point to not just like turn this podcast off and start watching this movie. And the Absolutely. thing is, yeah, indeed, like I had no idea about the reviews. I had no idea about how it was perceived. This was my genuine feeling. And then, you know, when you see like people are agreeing on the same thing, that is actually good. And that's rare, like that you you don't get a single uh, yeah, bad review. Even if films have bad reviews, that doesn't make them bad. But yeah, it's such a common, it's such a universe. It hits so deeply in each person. Wherever you are, if you're in New York, uh, live, Italian living in New York, or a Turkish girl living in Belgium, it hits you, you know? Yeah. So um, that's that's the best what a movie can do. I think that's the, I think that's every director's dream to be able to create a movie that um, has an impact like that on, on everyone in the world. Yeah. Speaking about impacts, I'm going to ask you the last question for this podcast okay because our time is nearly up um the question that i ask uh, all my my uh, guests is we're searching for the answer of is nicholas cage a national or sometimes even international treasure so mm -hmm. after seeing moonstruck what is your uh, opinion what is the verdict what do you think about cage does it need to be like one sentence or can it I can, it elaborate can be, on it? You can elaborate a lot. You can do whatever okay. you want. But this is the final question, the last stroke. <sighs> that sounds final weird. I'm question. sorry. Um, what is a treasure? That's a big question, you know? What is? What does it mean to be uh, this? I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he has done an incredible job in this movie. I think without share... Mm, <laughs> without share I, without share Sally you know, Fields no, you know how it would how it would have been I think he's uh, I think he's a special man he's very handsome um, no no I think he I think he is but I think also um, many people are mm -hmm. I think uh, people like him who have such a broad career of so many films of so many um opportunities that he has in his life to have grabbed everything and to have made something out of every everything is very special um and i think many other actors and actresses could have been not as lucky or not has had the same kind of opportunities that maybe aren't seen at the way he is being perceived right now but um, I think from what he had, what he did with it is um, that he had, he gave everything and that makes him a national treasure, I would say, um, and a special actor because um, so far from the films I've seen, um, you don't really always feel like he's doing it for the money. He's, he's an artist. He's Absolutely. doing it uh, because he believes and he wants it and he's you know that's his calling and when you see films and you see that the actors performances are you can see that they're sort of slightly not interested in the role or bored you can tell mm -hmm. but in this movie 
and so far every Nicolas Cage movie I've seen, he's in it with it with all of his heart, and therefore he's done the best thing he could do during his career of making the most out of every movie. But acting wise, I'm not an acting expert. And I, I, I don't know what the kind of conversations are surrounding Nicolas Cage's acting skills. Mm -hmm. But from an audience point of view, yeah, for sure. He's great. Thank you. very. That was, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you for, <laughs> for doing this podcast uh, with me. Sure. I mean, I loved it. My, I, I think I would, uh, my dream is to be just a speaker. I wish I could earn money with speaking. Maybe I should start my own podcast. I love hey, that. why not? You know, why not? Why not? Like, uh, I love talking, um, especially about film. So, well, if you ever make a podcast and you need some white ass Belgian to, to come on it, sure. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I would love to definitely. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. Thank you, you as well. Dit was het voor deze keer. Ik bedank graag Jeff Jacobs en Naomi van Damme voor de intro, Megan Kremers voor het artwork en u om te luisteren. Graag tot de volgende keer when we will capture lightning in a cage. Nicolas Cage podcast. Na 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 na.